Hello and welcome to the final episode in this season of Somerset Stories, the podcast which explores the lives of the people who live, work and create in Somerset. My name's Lewis Webb and over the last 14 weeks I've had the privilege of sharing the stories of some of the inspiring, creative and successful individuals and families that make this beautiful county their home. And in this season finale, we're going to do something a little different. I'll be spending some time with our very first podcast guest, musician Tom Corneal. We'll be catching up on what's been keeping him busy, but we'll also be turning the spotlight on the last 18 months of Somerset Stories, considering some of the highlights, challenges and ambitions. And we'll be revealing the top 10 most popular episodes so far, so stick around to find out if your favourite is among the top spots. And for the last time, we'll be playing Somerset Who's Who, the mystery identity game based on people with a Somerset connection. As ever, your comments, reviews and feedback are always appreciated. And if you'd like to send us a message or would like to be a guest on a forthcoming season, you can email hello at somersetstories.com. Tom, welcome back to Somerset Stories. Hello. Hello, Lewis. It's great to be back. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to do a little bit of an interesting uh, take. It's, it's going to be a non-traditional podcast for us because normally... It's just a lot of people's life stories and motivations and what they get into. Um, but we've done that with you a couple of times before. Yeah. Uh, so so it, I'd love to find out a little bit more about what's been happening since we last spoke. But then also, um, this is the last episode of the current season uh, and we're getting towards the end of the year. And I thought it might be worth having a bit of a retrospective on this podcast in particular as well. And as someone who is now, well, this is your third appearance. Yeah, uh, I know. I'm so you're basically a co-host. Yeah, <laughs> people will be sick of the sound of me. <laughs> um, so we last spoke in March, where we did a Somerset short, which was basically a, a kind of 25-minute right. update on life since, uh, since your first episode. So in the time since then, what have you been up to? I've got to say, the start of this year I found quite uh, challenging. You don't need me to explain why it's challenging. Everyone has had a bit of a tough time of it, but it's it's quite easy to forget now what what sort of stages in the cycle of um, lockdown and what that did to our mental health and all the rest of it. I was finding the beginning of the year was really frustrating because me and my band Young Martyrs recorded our album in December. Uh, sorry, we released it in December last year, um, but couldn't take couldn't play to anyone because venues are still closed and things like that um and so sometime in the summer when venues started to open up and and uh people started to feel a bit more comfortable about coming out um gigs came back on the table so immediately after march not a lot to be perfectly honest it was more of the same um recording my own podcast and um which I've been very, very slow on this year. I'm afraid I don't have your levels of productivity uh, for everyday problems. So not a lot happened immediately, but in the summer I actually started, I needed to get out and play more. So I started busking in the centre of Bath and that has been, it quickly became something I'd always been terrified of doing. Happy to get on stage in any music venue uh, that you like, but the idea of walking into the middle of a crowded town and just setting up and starting to sing just felt so alien to me. Um, so I wanted to see if I could push myself to do it and I fell madly in love with it and I've been doing that since, that was in July, and I've been doing it ever since and that's led to lots of uh, bookings for lots of other gigs for the band and for, for me solo as well. So the last few months has just been um, really, really busy playing lots of music. Are you doing your own stuff while you're busking? Are you sort of mixing it up? Are you doing covers? What's what's the deal? Yeah, it's um it's been a mix really. In um so I busk in Bath. I, I need to get out and see some some other towns really, but I live just outside of, of Bath, so I go into the centre there and it's interesting, you quite quickly learn that there's a different vibe in the different spots. There's no official busking slots uh, spots in Bath. You can actually do it. Uh, wherever you want to, whether I think the Southgate Centre may have some slightly different rules because it's privately owned, but the rest of Bath is you kind of make it up as you go along, but no one ever does. We always go to the same spots because passers-by tend to um, expect to see you there. But some 
places are there's lots of coffee shops and people sit down and in those spots where you've got a bit of time I find that I play a lot of original music um, because I feel like people are getting to know you a little bit you could be there um, up to an hour um, occasionally a tiny bit more than that in in a couple of spots that where that sort of thing is is allowed um, and uh, it's nice to play your own stuff you, you almost get a bit of a report it's almost like doing a, a gig indoors like any other normal gig there are other spots where people are just busy shopping and stuff and you need to get their attention quickly and the best way to do that is by belting at them something that they recognize um, and that they remember from a time in their life and so it's a it's it's a mix um, but uh, yeah I've played loads of Young Martyrs stuff and a lot of my old solo stuff as well um, and it's gone down really well. I've I've been really. It's been a it's been a healthy exercise. It, it's um it's been a very happy one. I think the last time we spoke, it was around how lots of people have missed live music. Do you think? I suppose you don't really have a compare and contrast if you weren't doing busking prior to to lockdown. But do you? Would you suppose that a lot of people are more engaged and more sort of tuned into music on the street? rather than, you know, buskers just being part of that retail and shopping landscape? I, I think so. I think because a, a few people have specifically said it to me, basically. Um, you, you're right, it's hard for me to compare to previous years with busking in mind, but um, a few people have actually specifically said it means so much more having not had that for a little while. I, I, um, I, I was speaking to a security guard at the Roman Baths a little while ago and he said I, I it's funny I had this uh, preconception that anyone whose job is in town near the buskers all the time would probably not be the buskers greatest fans not that they don't like music but they have to hear the same stuff or, or variations on a, on a theme too often for it to be that enjoyable and this this chap um, really surprised me he, he said um he said, we've really missed you. He said, um, Bath's a lovely city, but he said the, the buskers, the street performers, the musicians and the, you know, the, the jugglers, the, all, all the people that do all the thing. He said, they're like the soul of the city. Um, and it, he said it felt so empty without that going on. And I thought that was really, really, really lovely um, to, to be coming into a scene where, you know, even people who have to listen to it all the time can miss it. That's great. Yeah, it's, it is really interesting because you don't really clock that that is adding to your experience until it's taken away from you. Probably so, yeah. Yeah, well, we didn't, we didn't, it's funny, we didn't realise how loud the traffic was until everyone had to stay at home. Do you remember? And then all of a sudden, all, all anyone could talk about in the, the first few weeks of the first lockdown was how loud the birds were. Because suddenly we didn't have the, the noise of the cars and things like that. Everyone was saying, God, the... Can you hear how, how loud the birds are? So yeah, you don't notice something till it's gone, I guess. Personally, I suppose, how has how's your resilience been throughout this year? You, you kind of mentioned that the first few months were, were pretty tricky to, to get through. Sure. Um, it's, it continues to be tricky. It's been very up and down, I think, Lewis. It's been everyone's journey with the whole where are we at with the pandemic thing will, will be entirely different but I think we can probably identify parts in ourselves in everyone else's journey. Last year I was able to because I was um, became redundant at the beginning of last year just before we went into lockdown uh, after a very very long stressful period and it was a really tough year but there was parts of me that was glad to to have time to just recover and try some new things out in my own time and it felt like the world had slowed down so I was able to do that without feeling any pressure to sort of find something and sort of latch onto it really quickly. The start of the year we'd recorded and released an album um, and couldn't get out to play it anywhere and that was incredibly frustrating. The middle of the year when things started to open up again we started to get the odd booking for gigs and I went out busking and things and my mental health just absolutely went skyward it was just um, I just felt so healthy and I had purpose again because um, the busking I was enjoying doing it 
um, it was the the real motive behind doing it was to get out there as a kind of showcase to be able to get bookings for evening gigs and things, the stuff that pays. But of course, while you're doing it, you're getting a few quid in your pocket, which after um, not earning, for, you know, not earning for a year and a half at that point was nice. That was that was very reassuring, uh, albeit in small amounts, but it, it doesn't have lift your, your soul a bit. Um, I think at this point in time, uh, and not with any wish to bring the conversation down, but it's, it's a bit of a challenge again, musically speaking, because this is the time of year that the winter months or the pre-Christmas um, months, autumn, winter, is where lots of particularly festivals and, and a lot of big venues are doing their booking for looking at the year ahead. And discovered that the Young Martyrs, we only, although we'd all been playing in other projects before that for, for many years, we only formed in the summer 2020. And most festivals in 2020 had had their acts booked since 2019. And any festivals that haven't been able to take place since then, they've still got all the same acts booked for 2022. And so... Um, it's been as as a a new band. It's been incredibly difficult to get bookings anywhere because while things might feel a bit no, more normal, we're still in, at least in the entertainment industry. We're still trying to make up for you know the the two years that's just passed. It's not quite two years, is it? But the however long it's been. Um, so new opportunities just aren't open up yet or they're much much harder to find and that is quite frustrating uh, and i guess i suppose that the rest of it is just um you know we, we aren't in another lockdown but you're seeing mandatory mask wearing come back in and stuff which i think is a good that i was myself and cara were wearing our mask um on public transport and when we go into shops and we were kind of doing it anyway but i can't deny that the effect of seeing everyone have to do it mandatory again it's it just it's a bit of a reminder of a time mm. we, we don't want to go back to um and you know it's colder outside love christmas but last christmas was a bit of a mess wasn't it with the old uh, in in the uk um with things being changed at last minute so it's a bit of i, I feel like going into a bit of a, a challenging time again now um which is not really what you want at christmas but you know christmas miracles do happen um and a, a shot at a brand new year is always i know it's, it, it doesn't make sense really because any day that you wake up isn't is a chance to start again but there is something symbolic about an a year coming to the end to to an end and then you know moving in forward into the next one it feels like okay let's wipe the slate clean let's make a fresh start let's see some new things happen so yeah Picks and troughs, Lewis. That's probably a longer answer than you're hoping for, but that's that's where my head's at anyway. As a band, as a new band that has come together post your sort of period of reflection of who you are and where you want to go and your own mental health, how conscious are you of each other's position in that? I know traditionally bands are just sort of focused on, you know, it's music, it's rock and roll, and let's not talk about how everyone feels. Is it different for Young Martyrs? Great question. Yeah, entirely. I, I, well, I, I would like to think that because the conversation is becoming, uh, you know, checking in on people and things is, and, you know, making sure your mates are okay and stuff, it, it's becoming much more commonplace now, which, of course, is a, a huge, huge positive. And I'd like to think that's happening a lot in any bands uh, getting together, any, any creative project that comes together. But I think in ours in particular, um, because we're friends that have known each other for a long time before the band was was formed, um, and because mental health is something that I particularly have been talking about for quite a long time, and I've had lots of chats with the guys, I think it's automatically found its way um, into conversation and that doesn't mean that we'll stand around and, and say right how's your mental health or how's your depression doing or you know have you had any anxiety attacks lately or anything like that it's it's just as simple as we check in with each other and um when if someone's a bit quiet one night at a rehearsal or something like that um 
you can guarantee that someone will be texting them the next day to say, you know, you okay, mate, anything on your mind and stuff. And, but we do make an effort to check in on each other. And that, that's just that's just really part of our culture as, as friends, I think, as much as anything. Um, and I wouldn't change that for the world. Do you ever cast your mind back to the version of you before you left the corporate world? And what do you think of that, Tom? Yes, uh, I can tell you a really solid story about, uh, well, it's, it's not a good story, but I, I, something happened to me the, um, the other day. You know, you're, you're, I've got an iPhone and uh, every day it shows me some old, when I go to wake it up, it shows me some old picture that happened a couple of years ago or something, memories. I don't know what the purpose of that is. I've never really looked into it, but it, it does this thing. And there was a picture of me um, when Cara, my wife and I were, uh, we had some time away in Scotland and it was right in the middle of a really stressful pe period at work. And we went for about five days um, up to Lochte in Scotland and we did loads of driving around. And uh, there's a picture of me in a whiskey distillery. Um, and... Actually, the, the location has nothing to do with it. I made that sound like it was going to get really rock and roll then. It, it isn't. I happened to be uh, in a picture pouring a, a bottle of whiskey that, um, that I bought. And uh, what really shocked me was, for me, when I was in my corporate world, and I hope in the future as well, but holiday became so important as a time to entirely break away from my day job to completely get away from it to the point where in the last couple of years I actually got quite good at winding down and working from home in the few days leading up to a holiday in order I could properly leave it behind when I got on a plane or where you know got in the car and go where we were going when I looked at this picture of a time where I would have thought that I was completely you know having a time away from work the clothes that I was wearing back then um, there's a massive identity crisis going on because I can see that the stuff that I'm wearing is sort of halfway between what I would wear in the office and what I would be wearing right now. And I looked like, not that there's anything at all wrong with this, but I looked like a corporate guy on holiday trying not to be at work. That's the vibe that you get from it. I've got some chinos on and, and, uh, and uh, a, a Ralph Lauren um, sure, and it's all—it's all nice stuff. It's all—it's all. I look nice. I look, and it's you know, for for someone else that might have been exactly what they intended to wear on their holiday, but it—it it isn't me. It isn't you know. Um, I realised a few years ago that the identity of me outside and inside work was becoming more and more separate, and I really wanted to get back to my roots of I used to be. Um, well, I, I used to, to spend all my time around musicians and, and I was a bit of a rebel and I wanted to get back to ripped jeans and, you know, uncut hair and, and stuff like that, which, as you, you can see at the moment, which has happened. But in this picture um, from only a couple of years ago, I looked like a totally different person. And I didn't realise until I saw that picture how, how obvious it is, the difference. If I was to bump into someone that I used to work with now after not seeing most people for two years, I think they'd be shocked. Uh, and, you know, for the, benef for the evidence of the tape, I've, a, I've got a denim shirt on and jeans and look fairly normal, but are definitely a lot more, um, a lot more casual and a lot more denim generally, actually. There's quite a lot of denim goes on in this house. Um, I just look very, very different, so, yeah. I suppose an observation maybe on, on my part is that this idea of people being themselves in the working environment and companies being a lot more responsive and responsible when it comes to mental health and being supportive of their staff. Do you feel, not necessarily a sense of validation, but do you feel like actually I'm quite pleased to see the corporate world beginning to do something about it absolutely m massively i think there's i think they've got a long way to go i think that uh, it's great to see so many changes happening um the thing that oh, it doesn't worry me because i'm not in that world anymore but i think that 
in order for a culture to change, you need to really change the mindsets of some of the people. And it's not like any big company, not that they could or should do this, but it's not like anyone suddenly ejected all of the old school people that have been there for many years and, and were perpetuating perhaps a, a more narrow-minded way of, of operating. Um, they are still there. So you can change all the rules and things, but that won't change the way that managers operate and things like that. And so I, I think it will be a long time before the corporate world, which is built upon rules and a certain idea of decorum uh, and a way that we should dress and act and things like that. Not all bad rules, you know, some of it's just about good manners and stuff. There, there is, you know, there's a, there is some common sense to it. But um, I think it, it's probably there's some way to go yet. But to see that there is more freedom. I, I also think that uh, some of the power comes not from companies, from, you know, corporate companies changing, but from people, from, from employees feeling more empowered because the world around them, because the TV, the, you know, podcasts, the music they listen to, are now more open to so many different ways of life and are recognising so many different ways of living, people feel more empowered to stand up for themselves. And I think actually there's probably bigger change coming from that, from employees challenging the system than systems actually changing. And that's, that's a massive, massive positive. You mentioned your podcast earlier on, which I know has been a little bit more intermittent yes <laughs> it certainly has yes um it, it's hard work though isn't it like it's, it's just particularly i think with the subject matter that you're you're dealing with to try and talk about that you know week in week out is a lot of emotional effort as well as the effort of just actually getting the thing produced right absolutely i think yeah i mean you you know more than anyone you've been very prolific in your podcast output and your quality is always really high as well um which is something that i constantly worry about when we put something out is is anyone even going to want to listen to this but that in itself is is can be quite exhausting because every time you put an episode out there's a bit of fear around you know i, I don't know maybe if maybe if we were more consistent with it myself and, and liam um, who do it together, maybe we would get past that point. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I, I think also, actually, you've just identified something that I I probably hadn't called out to myself, and you're absolutely right, is that it's the nature of the conversation when you're... We, we intended... We always have light-hearted chats about serious subjects that can get quite heavy, but the intention is not to get anyone to bear their souls and you know have everyone in tears we, we try to have a open-minded light-hearted chat around the topic of mental health and and um everyday problems stuff that everyone faces but you kind of do have to get into zone into a zone for it liam and i always start with a check-in and ask each other how we are and when you're you're the point that you're trying to put across is that don't just say i'm fine that's not good enough. Like, how, how are you? What, what's, how, how are you out of 10 is something we, we learned from the founders of Talk Club, which is a brilliant, brilliant uh, operation and charity. Have you had Talk Club on your show yet? Any of the no, guys from Talk Club? Yeah, we, Liam and I try to ask each other, how are you doing out of 10? Because it, it starts a bigger conversation because you have to give some real thought to that and think, okay, well, where am I actually compared to... How was I yesterday? How can I level this out? And talking about how you feel all the time, it's great that we can do it, but when it's the thing that you have to do, it suddenly becomes quite exhausting. Like you say, it's quite quite tiring. It's a, it's a bigger job. Um, and apart from that, Liam's job, he works in, uh, he works for one of the universities in Bristol, might be Bristol Uni actually, um, and he's had a hell of a time because he spends all his time trying to place students in the right place and keep them safe. And his job has just been absolutely manic. And he's had no break, really, because because of all the lockdowns and things, semesters and holidays and stuff have kind of blurred. Um, and he just doesn't ever get a break. He works super, super hard. He does great work. Um, 
and evenings is generally when we would record a podcast in the evenings I've been really busy with gigs and rehearsals and things like that so sometimes it's just just having to get two people in the same place at the same time even virtually is not that easy you know so all those things combined we have slowed right down we would like to do more episodes um but we've only done half as many this year as we wanted to so I think we'll probably give ourselves a break over Christmas and then start afresh in the new year. It's interesting you mentioned just finding the time to get people together even though it's just virtual when there are other jobs on the table. That I think has been probably one of the biggest challenges for me is just this is not Mm. my full-time job. Yeah. Actually it's not even the second biggest priority in life because I have young children and they take up a lot of time and so I think what has been the hardest part of putting this whole thing together has just been time because thank you for your compliments about the the quality of of the podcast it means a lot what I try to do is to make sure that I'm not a just asking guests the same boring questions that they would get from any other interviewer, that it is a conversation that flows throughout the duration of it and it's not disjointed and that people get something from it and maybe talk about something in a way that they haven't talked about it before. And I know it's really hard to do that, particularly with people that you've never met before and you're only meeting with virtually, but it means that you have to do a lot of research into who they are and try and understand that before actually getting on a, on a call with them or, or meeting them. And what that means is hours and hours of research and hours and hours of planning out a certain number of questions that you think you need to ask in order to get A, the right length of content and B, that you're going into enough depth with people so that you're not just going... And then what happened? And then what happened? Yeah. <laughs> because that's quite yeah. boring. Yeah. Yeah, good, well put. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how you how you find time to to do it, you know, with your your busy life, but you but you do. So and keep doing it because it's great content. I I do enjoy it. I think you're the first episode and that's probably a good good place to start, really. Uh because when we had a conversation, it did touch on all the different things that I wanted to get out of this podcast, right? Which was understanding people's lives and what brought them to where they are now. Talking about things which aren't just like single tracks. So just talking to someone about one subject and nothing else makes for a, a conversation which can be really interesting you know, when I interviewed Rebecca Lipkin, who'd written a book about John Ruskin, we spent the most time talking about John Ruskin, which has nothing to do with Somerset, sure, yeah. really. And so there's some things which you can go really in depth on and have a fa- fascinating conversation. But others, I find it's more interesting when you're able to go, okay, well, for example, Marcus Ferguson and Penny Nagel, who, you know, make cheese, they moved out of out of London with their high profile jobs in like TV production and music. Right. And now they live just outside of Wincanton and make award winning cheese. <laughs> Amazing. And so love it. that's what I love about Somerset is that you do get these stories of yeah. people who have elements of their life which appear to be very almost conflicting, but people have reconciled it with themselves and it's part of part of their story um i mean i think i think yours your story sort of does that as well because as you were saying before you've got this identity of you were trying to fit in to that corporate world but actually you had this sort of the real tom i suppose yeah trying to uh trying to make his way out yeah and and i should be clear as well actually something i've got to be really conscious of is when i talk about it's become something that I talk about quite a lot because we've not had a lot of new things happen in lockdown. So, um, but when, if I, if ever I diss the corporate world, I'm talking in terms of 
the fact that it was not the world that I was meant to be operating in, you know, 24-7. I'm not suggesting for a second that it isn't perfect for lots and lots and lots of other people. Um, people, you know, some of the people that I used to work with have a brilliant time and do really brilliant and important jobs. But you do feel it. I think it's taken this much time to pass for me to really be able to look back and get some proper perspective and see quite how different I am now and, and different I was before getting drawn more and more into that world. Well, I have to tell you that the way in which you share your story is, is very popular because um, I'm going to show you now uh, the top 10 episodes that we've had. And oh, wow. there you are be at number 10. No way. That's amazing. God, that's that's insane. I can only imagine that's because people uh, have gone right back to the beginning to hear more of your brilliant podcast. And that's how I've ended up there. Oh, well, that's absolutely amazing. That's great to be on there. Crikey. I think you're right, actually. I think that a lot of people will see someone they know or someone they follow on social media post yeah. about their episode and then they will go back and say, well, right, I'm going to listen to season one, episode one. And to be honest, I, from a production perspective, I find that quite embarrassing because <laughs> something that I've got a lot better at <laughs> yeah. is editing, sticking it together, making it sound a lot better than, than season one, episode one. Oh, but that's, that's the case with any podcast. I've done this so many times. I, I get locked onto a thing that I'm into. I find a podcast on it. I enjoy a couple of episodes and I go, right, I'm going to go right back to the beginning. And the audio is usually so bad in the beginning because everyone's doing the same thing as, as we did, you know, sat in front of a computer working out whether to use external mics or not and which one's the right one and all of those things. I wouldn't worry. I think I think listeners get that and I don't think they're particularly put off by it. And in fact, some of the podcasts that I enjoy a lot, even now, the, the quality audio and otherwise is not as good as the stuff that you put out. And I think the audio quality is not of, often even as good as what, what I put out. Some people, I think, just care less about how it sounds and they just want to get the content out there. It's been really important to me personally to keep the audio quality as high as I can get it. And the reason being that, uh, as you say, when you're listening to podcasts, you want it to be a good experience. You don't want to have to strain your ears. I've, I think I've realized or come to a, come to a point where I think, or I believe that my, my hearing is really sensitive because I'll have conversations with my wife and she just won't won't react to things in the same way that I do when there is something just not quite right about how something sounds. Right, okay. And so I think what that means is that I'm really a stickler for audio quality when I, when I put something out and therefore if I'm talking over Zoom with someone and they have a bad connection... I'm having the conversation with them, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking this audio is not good enough and it's going to be hellish to try and edit to make good enough. <laughs> right, okay. Which means I'm really distracted from talking to them, which is, a, which is a shame. Well, I think you can take it as read that your audio quality is always good and you don't need to panic. <laughs> I would say so. So number nine yeah. is Claire Greenslade, who is also in season one. There's a few season one uh, specials in here, I suppose. And Good I think season. that's because people are going back to those original ones just yeah. to see what it's all about. Um, so Claire is the head gardener at Hestercombe, um, which is near Taunton. Have you been to Hestercombe? I many years ago. Many years ago, yeah. yeah. It's beautiful there. In fact, I think I have my school prom there. Oh. I think. It's very possible. I'd have to check that with a with an old school friend, but yeah. That was that was recorded, I think, in sort of August of twenty twenty. Yeah. So it was on like everyone was kind of emerging from that first initial five month wave of yeah. what the hell is going on. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and Claire had this really interesting view of how what we'd been through had brought us to a position where because of that appreciation for nature, there's lots of things that had been around Hesticum that had been sort of rewilded, but not deliberately. And so there was this amazing, like, oh, wow, well, if we didn't strim these verges in the car park, then this happens and we get more insects and we get more birds. And and it was not not necessarily fully accidental, but a really interesting conversation around how you know, we were more attuned to nature because of that right, pause. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. I remember, I I think we all felt a bit like that. That that was also probably in the period where we were all allowed an hour's worth of outdoor exercise. And for the first time in a long time, a lot of us actually bothered to get out and get an hour's worth of exercise. And we, we all were observing the plant life and things getting overgrown and stuff like that. So I think we all felt quite in tune with nature, but obviously Claire would have, would have been right in the zone. Number eight, we've got, I've mentioned them already, Marcus Ferguson and Penny Nagel and their award-winning cheese. Cheese. Uh, that was a fun one. Um, and what struck me about that interview wasn't necessarily the content, but actually it was, you know, nine episodes in, that first season a lot of people who I was talking to were giving me recommendations and saying you need to talk to x y and z yeah and so I had this long list of people that I need to invite to the podcast and that's kept growing because every time I interview someone they give me two or three more people to to get on the podcast Hmm. so it's currently sitting at around about 180 people jeez wow god Somerset's interesting isn't it it is. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get through them all. I, I'm going to need... Well, you can never, ever stop doing this show. That's that much is clear. <laughs> Number seven is William Sitwell, who was the season finale of season three. And William was kind of our first... Uh, one of the first sort of well-known people, people with a, an actual public profile, to start following the Instagram page. And I remember... When I got that notification, William Sitwell is following an Instagram. I was like, this is great. That's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I almost immediately sent him a message saying, thanks for following. Can I interview for the, you for the podcast? <laughs> and, uh, and he said yes. And it took months before we could find some time in the diary for us to actually record. But it was a really good, uh, really good episode. That's excellent. Number six is Lynn Franks who was a neighbour of mine in Wincanton when we lived there. Uh, and as someone who spent time working in the PR industry, to to be interviewing Lynn Franks was, yeah, a bit of a pinch yourself moment. Hmm. And I think one of those points where I always felt like you can only ask people to be on the podcast once you've had guests that are of a similar level right. of profile. Sure. You have to have a repertoire of episodes, right? To say, oh, look at all these people. They've been on the podcast. So you're in good company. Yeah. And I think Lynn was the first person who I thought, actually, this might open bigger doors down the line. So that was good. Got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? I mean, four... And that was which season there? That was... That was season one. That was right back in season one, crikey. Yeah. Jeez. I am really pleased about number five. Because number five is a lady called Gemma Warren, who is a truck driver from Bridgewater. And so she's built a bit of a profile in social media because I suppose what she does is, you know, she's a massive minority in the truck driving world just by being a woman. Uh, And it was great, really good conversation just about how, uh, how life in that world is, is very different what the challenges are and you know going through the the driver shortage that we've been through over the last few months it was fascinating to get that kind of insight into it as well yeah i i grew up in trucks my um my dad owned a haulage business and so i spent much of my childhood uh in the cab with him and i cannot remember ever coming across 
uh, a female driver of any other truck and I couldn't even imagine it at, at the time and we obviously we're talking some decades ago now as as well when um yeah that that's that's very is that is that awfully backward of me to now to say that that that's a brave thing to do certainly I would have considered it brave if she was uh, working with some of the people my dad used to work with <laughs> mind you I'd feel brave working with some of those people as well to be fair so so number four, we've got Bruce Hodgson, and he is an amazing individual. He's someone who is the creative director at a company called Artichoke, which is based up in Cheddar. And I don't know if you got to listen to this one, but Artichoke is a architectural joinery company. So they do they do kitchens and wardrobes and libraries, but not just any. They do them in sort of the countries and the world's most historic buildings. So they'll go into literal castles and mansions and things and put in put in the utmost highest quality uh, timber furniture that is of the right period, that is of the right style, but also quite contemporary as well. So they just do the most amazing stuff with with wood. That must take immense talent and patience and uh, experience you, you know dealing with those that caliber of building of homes that you don't want to spoil and have to add something new to that's uh, yeah the mind boggles i also think it's a really interesting thing that you know such a specialist company of artisans is operating in the middle of somerset and recruiting from the middle of Somerset as well. So it's providing a, not just a career, not just a trade, but a level of professionalism that is, you know, world leading for for young people who, you know, I want, want to go into construction or whatever, but actually how can I elevate that to the next level? Yeah, absolutely. That's inspiring. All right, we've got top three now. Number three is Jules and Steve Horrell, who run the Roth Bar and Dursley Farm Shop at Hauser & Worth, just as well, in Bruton. Yeah, I know it. I was, in fact, was there fairly recently, earlier on this year. We are about 10 minutes away from them, and it's just, right. it's just such a good place for breakfast lunch well any any meal to be honest yeah yeah i was gonna go with brunch <laughs> so yeah they've got all the meals covered and i'm gonna be there for new year's eve are you indeed? doing a big celebration which is gonna be a lot of fun fantastic number two caroline core who i only interviewed in october so it's quite a recent episode actually but probably unsurprising that it's so popular because She's a core. That's a name that people are going to recognise. It is. I'm probably surprised to see it in conjunction with Somerset. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's been in the county for a number of years. And uh, that was something which, you know, when, when they were at the peak of their powers, kind of late 90s, I was a 17-year-old boy, so obviously loved the cause <laughs> so Didn't sitting down opposite opposite a table asking questions was a, um, a bit of a personal highlight i suppose absolutely yeah that's uh that's amazing what an honor and then number one our top episode of somerset stories so far is the gardener charles dowding who lives just down the road from me in alhampton <laughs> wow can you get Charles over to give you some hints and tips here and there, or just to sort your backyard out? Uh, I, I wish I could. I've actually, I am going to try and adopt his no-dig method right. for our garden next year, because, well, it just seems like there's, it's win-win, really. So, going to give it a bash, see Absolutely. what happens. Absolutely. Yeah, well, you've got the right uh, consultant just down the road from you. Yeah, if it all you? goes wrong, I'll yeah. just nip over to Charles's and ask what's, what I'm doing yeah. badly. <laughs> Well, just blame him for it. Come on, Charles. You said this was going to work out. Fantastic. What a list. And that's just the top 10. You have been, you have been very busy. Yeah, what's really interesting is that there's nothing from season two in there. And I feel like 
It's like the forgotten season. <laughs> well, maybe maybe you need to do uh, some some more catch ups with the season two folk. See, I probably see should do. See what's going on there. Yeah, one of the things in season two was I got to interview Venetia Dearden, who's a photographer, right? Who has got a great book on um, Glastonbury. So did portraits of people at Glastonbury for years and years and years. Um, and so has has that book, which is a fantastic uh, coffee table book. Brilliant. Um, but she also has a book which was published a long time before this podcast started, and it's called Somerset Stories. Ah, how about that? And so part of that interview was me asking for forgiveness and permission to be able to use the name. <laughs> Nicely done. Better to ask uh, forgiveness than permission. That's that is what like they say. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got a, a question for you. Did the podcast, because I know when, when we spoke all that time ago for the first time about your idea about what you wanted to do with the podcast, did the podcast become the thing you had envisaged or is it in any way different to what you had in mind? That's a really good question. I think it was very similar to what I envisaged. I think it now has some momentum behind it and I feel that there is an expectation to continue with producing episodes and with meeting new people and with doing more interviews and continue, yeah, carrying on basically. Because when we first spoke, I don't really think I had any conception of how long it would go for. No. And whether it would be a success. And I think the idea was, as long as people keep listening, I'll keep making it. And that has happened and more people have listened and therefore I feel obligated, I suppose, to carry on with it. Yeah, well, you know, don't don't feel obligated if you should you ever want to break from it. But um, I mean, I always think of your show as it, it's a little like a Somerset version of um, Great Lives on Radio 4 or something. I always think a, a podcast that you can listen to on an ongoing basis is like a really good radio program that runs for years. So, you know, to see you in season four and heading into the new year still positive is, you know, it's brilliant. I think it's where the show should be, really. There's definitely elements of inspiration from other things that I've listened to. So it's a little Desert Island Discs, but yeah. without any music. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's also a little bit inspired by Jay Rayner's podcast, Out to Lunch. Oh, I haven't listened to that one. But without any food. Right. <laughs> but more uh, Somerset. Yeah, and more Somerset. And the other, the other host that I look to and am massively inspired by, just because of the range of people that he talks to, is Adam Buxton. I'd be so disappointed if that wasn't the next name out of your mouth. That's, <laughs> it's got to be Adam Buxton. Because, you know, one week he can be talking to a comedian and the next he's talking to a politician or an animal rights campaigner. Absolutely, or a scientist or yeah. whatever, yeah. And so I've always thought, I'm, I want to talk to people in Somerset who I find interesting and if other people are interested by the questions that I ask and the answers, then that's great as well. Yeah. The other thing that people do ask or have comments about is just the, the fact that it's not always people who've been in Somerset their whole lives. And so sure. there are people who've moved into Somerset either very recently or, you know, for a couple of decades. Yeah. And so Somerset is part of their story and it's not the whole thing. I've been relatively open, I think, about that being the case for the podcast. And the fact that I'm not from Somerset originally yeah. is part of my exploration. It's, it's part of me being an outsider with a natural curiosity for the people and the community around me. And I want to get to know it better. And I hope that through me asking questions of people who are part of that community, that will transcend, you know, location and it will just be an interesting, uh, interesting kind of connection. Absolutely. I think um, I, I have vague memory of, I should have listened to the episode again, really. But when, when we first chatted, 
I think you hadn't realised that I had always lived in Somerset. You were you had thought maybe I'd come from somewhere else to university or to in in Bath or something. But I mean, the truth is, I I was born and raised in Somerset. I've I've actually I've moved around it, but I've never left it. Um, but my family, my my mum and dad are from Manchester, and their parents are from Ireland, and you know I think that's what makes that's what makes life interesting is people moving around and setting down roots for a bit and either it's the next generation or you know at some point you move on because you bring a little bit of wherever you've been into wherever you're going don't you and I think that's mm. what that's what makes for great stories yeah and so we recorded the Christmas episode a couple of weeks ago and so within that we've got people who are you know from different parts of the country and have have landed and settled here as well as someone uh, who's been their entire life here and uh, you know ge generations of their family have been in Somerset as well so I think it does take it takes all sorts and I think Somerset is a really good county for that so yeah there's loads of stories out to be discovered and had I'd like to be honest, I'd like more people to get in touch and say I'd like love to be on the podcast because of X, Y, and Z. Because um, it that would save me time of having to find people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. Maybe people just think that they don't have anything interesting to say. But I suppose it's my job to ask the questions which are going to make it interesting. Do you know what? I think that's probably true. I think a lot of people, unless they've got something that they feel very passionately about to sell or to promote and I don't say those as negatives I'm thinking of you know there's some charities where you know that they, they would like to get on there but where it comes to talking about themselves I think a lot of people would be would think it was a bit forward to approach your podcast to say can we talk about me for an hour mm. or something I, I suspect that's probably what it is I wouldn't take offense at that although I realize it would make your life much much easier if people just came and knocked on the door and with their microphone and said here I am there is still that wish list of the people who who I'd love to get on are you allowed to say who's on the wish list? I can give you a couple of names. Actually, I did get, I got a response from the Glastonbury Festival press office. Wow. Um, saying that Emily and Michael are a little bit busy at the moment, so they're not able to, uh, to commit. At which point I said, look, it's just a standing invitation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just when, as soon as they have an hour to spend. Well, spare. when they eventually get back to you, could you ask them when they've next got a slot free for a, <laughs> uh, for a, a new Somerset band? That would be great. I will. I will. <laughs> that is one of the really nice things, actually, is, is those connections, is when you interview someone who has a connection to somewhere, someone else. Sure. And try, and try and stick them together, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not, that's, yeah, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Who else is on your wish list? So... The film director Edgar Wright. Oh wow! Is he based in Somerset? Is he? Well, he's not based in Somerset, but he grew up in Somerset. Right, of course. Uh, and of course, you only need um, hot fuzz. Yeah. So we could spend. I, we could do our whole podcast series on hot fuzz. It's it's such a great film, and it's such a sort of love letter to the county in a really funny and ironic way. Absolutely. But. He's. I also heard him on Jay Rayner's podcast, and he's a really good conversationalist as well. Great. Who else? I grew up as a sports fan and player, and therefore there's quite a lot of great sportsmen from Somerset as well. You've got people like Marcus Driscothic. You've got yeah. Jeremy Guskett, Tyrone Mings. Yeah. All people who've you know represented their country. Uh, and there's there's some fantastic female athletes as well. Jenny Jones, the snowboarder, Heather Stanning, ah, yeah, uh, Olympic yeah. rower. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, just really interesting people across a whole range of, of lifestyles, life types, all of that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's any um, unusual professions that you haven't covered yet 
that exist in Somerset? Possibly. I'd, I'd quite like to interview like a gamekeeper, mm -hmm. but they're always seem to be really, really busy. And I think we've covered a little bit of the agricultural world right. with a few people in sort of food production and farming. Um, but you can never, you can never kind of do that too often. I think particularly with the, the agricultural heritage of the county, you have to kind of stay true to that. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's always going to be, there's always going to be food and drink producers as part of, of course, yeah. every single season. Because it's just a really important part of the county. Absolutely, yeah, massively. Yeah. So, yeah. Here's, here's to another couple of years of podcasting. Well, I'm really excited for you. I'm really excited for you. It's, um, it's been so entertaining, fascinating listening to you. I've, the amount of people I've ended up following after listening to various shows of yours. And the, these people are on my doorstep, more or less, you know which is a nice thing that all, all counties should, and obviously they should pay you for the rights to be able to produce their own podcast, but all counties should have something like Somerset Stories. It's, it's, uh, it's a really um, enjoyable way of finding out about stuff that's happening really close by that you had no idea about. Tom, we're now going to play Somerset Who's Who, which is the game where I give you people with a Somerset connection and you have to tell me which of their identities you think is real. Okay, bring it on. So I've got five people and I'm going to give you their names and then two descriptions of who they are and you have to tell me which you think is true uh, and which I have made up from my brain. Okay, right. <laughs> and we're going to start with John Stringfellow. So was John Stringfellow A, a botanist known for classifications of the aloe plant, or B, an aeronautical inventor? I'm going to go with the botanist. He's the aeronautical inventor. Your brain is... How did you come up with that? That's too convincing. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, now or not, I'm in for. All right. N name number two is Sarah Lean. So... Is Sarah Lean A, a children's author known for her book, A Dog Called Homeless, or B, a pioneer in the use of prosthetic limbs? Prosthetic limbs. She's a children's author. <laughs> oh, I could, this, this is not going well. Okay, come on. I've got. A... You've got three more. Yeah. Your next one is Harold Gimblet. Okay. So was Harold Gimblet A an industrialist and plastics producer from Bridgewater, or a cricketer who made a sensational century on his first-class debut? A cricketer. Is correct. Yay! Brilliant. I didn't I fail miserably the, on the first game we ever did together. I'm sure I did. You so. didn't do very well no, on, right. <laughs> on the game which we called Somerset Levels. That's it, Somerset Levels. Yeah. Very good. Okay, right, one point. Let's see. Let's see what else we can do. Okay. George Williams, was he a CBBC presenter for five years in the early 2000s or was he the founder of the first YMCA? Early 2000s, uh, no. YMCA. Is correct again. Hey, two points. I was trying to figure out if I would have any, because I've got nieces and nephews who would have been watching children's TV around then? And would I be able to figure that out? But my memory's like a sieve. I wouldn't remember anyway. <laughs> and basically, has, is it someone who's appeared on Strictly Come Dancing at any point? And, and therefore, <laughs> that might have been the answer. Anyway, okay. Final name is Gladys Reeves. So, was Gladys Reeves A, a photographic artist whose family emigrated to Canada, or B, the Queen Mother's Lady-in-Waiting? Queen Mother's Lady-in-Waiting. She's a photographer. Oh, no. He swings and he misses on the last one. I would love for the Queen Mother's Lady-in-Waiting to have been from Somerset. Yeah, I would. And I'd love her to be on your show as well. That would be a <laughs> fascinating guest. Although I don't suppose she could tell you much. She's probably sworn to secrecy. <laughs> All right, well, I'm not playing that game again, but thanks for asking me, Lewis. That's... <laughs> well...
I, I think he performed better this time round. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that's even worse. Okay, well, I better come back in a couple of seasons' time and see what else you've got going on. Yeah, we'll do that <laughs> when when we reach episode a hundred or something. <laughs> get you back in. Yeah. Before we wrap up, do you want to just let people know where they can find you again? Cool. Um, thank you. Uh, yes, you can. I would love very much for people to go and find my band Young Martyrs and you, you can probably best do that by uh, searching for us on Instagram or just going to youngmartyrs.com or on Spotify, just search for Young Martyrs. The album is, is the same name as, uh, as the band. Um, my own website is tomcorneal.com and that's where I run my blog my my blog my blog and uh, talk about my podcast and um my spelling perhaps you'll put in the show notes um those for people to find will be handy because people tend to stumble on that one will do tom thank you again thank you for mate. uh for having a chat Pleasure. and uh for indulging this little retrospective on the Somerset story so far. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking me back, Lewis. Always fun chatting to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Somerset Stories. If you liked it, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on social media at Somerset Stories or email hello at somersetstories.com. Music on all Somerset Stories productions is created by Jazar, who can be found at betterwithmusic.com. See you next time.